and let us and let us pray. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your Son Jesus Christ, at His coming, may find us find in us a mansion prepared for Himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So today we celebrate the the grand story of redemption with the greatest story ever told. It is a story of life and death. The God of all creation left the glories of heaven and took on flesh and dwelt with man in order to redeem his people. The light has come into the darkness, bring new life. Jesus came to bring new life to men and women who would trust and follow him. Now, the story is familiar to most of us, and we know about his ability to redeem. We have hope in, in, in the future of living with him in glory. In our devotional reading, Paul Tripp, um, our devotional for, for Advent reading, Paul Tripp points out that though we may grasp the reality of his ability to redeem and our future hope to live with him in glory... Frequently, the thing we're slow to believe is the here and now application of the gospel. The here and now application of the Christmas story. So this is what we're going to look at today. First, we're, we, we see uh, that God himself comes to those who are poor in spirit. Mary and Joseph were of low estate. They had nothing. They were from a nothing town. And Joseph had family and was rooted in Bethlehem, and so they traveled back to Bethlehem in order to be counted and registered in this registration. Beginning in verse 3, it says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And then in verse 7, Luke tells us, that it, at this time, it was time for her, Mary, to give birth to the, to the son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger. And it says, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, this Greek word that is translated the, this inn uh, in this passage, that same Greek word is later used near the end of Luke in the... Um, in the passage where Jesus sends his disciples into town and they're going to prepare for that last supper. And they're going to go to this house and they're going to ask the man about the guest room. So they're, it's, it takes on a whole different connotation, yet it's the same Greek word. And so in that, in that story, the, the upper room is a guest room and this would have been a common thing. Um, and there's, there's, so, there's some argument on this, but I just want to push it just a little because it stretches our thinking. Because we know this Christmas story and we know it well. But if, if you change a, a word and its meaning, it can, it can significantly add a different connotation to it. And we might see that we actually read scripture through our own set of lenses, through our own understanding. We have animals in barns away from the house. So a manger would be in that barn away from the house. And this is kind of, it's been my understanding all along. That's how, that's just how it works. In this, in this case, if the same word were translated, 
as guest room as opposed to no room in the inn. If there was no room in the guest room, in this upper room in the house, then it could be that they, and, and some, and some um, theologians suggest that Joseph would have come to this house and would have been with family because he was of the lineage of David and these people came back. The reason you're being registered is because there's property tied to the family. So the thought is you come back to this house and in the guest room there is no room. But in the downstairs it would have likely been a place for animals. Again, the way we farm this is not what we do. But when I visited Rwanda we're sitting in a living room and there's a cow mooing and it sounds like the cow's in the kitchen. We later figure this out and there's this thing attached to the house where the animals are. So this is much like that possibly much like this, where on the main floor there's, there are places for the animals. And so perhaps she's not totally isolated. Perhaps she's not away from the inn. Perhaps she's not away from the house in this uh, desolate barn. But maybe she's still surrounded by people, and the women of the, of the family perhaps were there to attend to her during her giving birth. Now that's not the story we're used to, That's not the story that we're familiar with, and it may not even be the accurate story, but it is one that some people suggest, and I think it does have some merit, at least. And I think it helps us to recognize that how we really do read Scripture from our tradition and through our own experience. I've never had a problem with the tradition because it matches my own experience. The barn is away from the house. The animals do not live in the house. If the animals lived in the house, then what they're saying could be true. I just find that interesting, and, and, uh, and no matter how we cut that and which version is accurate, I think it's also uh, imperative that we understand that Jesus enters our world in the lowliest of, of, of uh, a state. He, he, when, when, uh, when he humbles himself and comes to us, he does that in the most humble conditions. He doesn't come to the wealthy. He comes to those who are low in spirit. The question for us is, are we low in spirit? Are we poor in spirit? And the, um, so God's going to enter our world, and he's going to enter and be with those and attend to those who are low in spirit. But he does this through, for the purpose of identification. So, we know that Jesus existed with God as a, the, the, uh, from the very beginning. So he was pre-existent with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. This is a, this is a key doctrinal point of the Christian faith, which I think was, is uh, maybe undertaught or under, uh, we don't understand it well. And the idea that, you know, okay, Jesus comes... And, you know, we, and frequently we talk about how old our faith is, and we'll talk about it being 2,000 years ago, and 2,000 years ago Jesus came. Okay, well, Jesus was with God from the very beginning. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John says that Jesus was with God from the very beginning, and that Jesus was God. Now, that's, a little, that's hard on our, our minds, but I think it's very helpful to understand that from eternity past, Jesus was with God the Father and God the Spirit, and they enjoyed a fellowship and a relationship of love 
that was among the three of them, it existed from eternity past. So it's not just this 2,000 years ago and in this birth story that Jesus existed. In Philippians 2, it says that in that state, that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it. But that he humbled himself and came and took on flesh to be with his people. But why would he do that? Why would he leave the glories of heaven and this excellent lack of sin, glorified fellowship of love with the Father and the Spirit, and why would he leave that to come and be with us in our sin-filled, broken world? Well, he would do that because he wanted to identify with you. So he takes on flesh in order to identify with you. Athanasius of Alexandria, a 4th century church father, said, What has not been assumed has not been redeemed. And the understanding about that is, he had to assume everything about us that is human in order to redeem all that we have which is human. This relates to the kinsman redeemer from the Old Testament. The kinsman redeemer was able to bring reconciliation because he was able to fully represent both sides of the, of the, of the parties. He was, he was related to both sides of the parties. For Jesus to be our kinsman redeemer, he had to be like us in every way, but without sin. But at the same time, he was also fully God. He came to take on human form, and he assumed all that we have that is human. He assumed our mind, our, 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 our feelings, our emotions, our bodies, every little thing which it matters to become human, he assumed. He, it was taken up, taken in, taken on, as, as, so that none would be left out. Now, analogies can only go so far, but I, I find this analogy kind of beautiful. Um, the pre-incarnate Christ, while in glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, has been described as a full symphony. And the commentator says, in, in all of its complexity, power, and magnificence, carried over a grand expanse. But when Jesus became human, he became a folk tune. He became a folk tune, sim- simple and shortened. Now, in this, he lost nothing of the Godhead, his eternal character, his attributes, absolute purity, and changeless excellence. He was still the symphony, but as a folk tune, he fully entered the human situation in a way that all could understand. Now, John, not in, a, in the form of analogy, but he, he said, John wrote, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I, I think the analogy from full symphony to um, folk tune is helpful in the sense that it's, you know, you're kind of like in the same family. It, and, of course, those analogies break down. The symphony was never infinite, and Jesus was infinite, became finite man, while at the same time remaining infinite God. Now, all that's beyond my ability to explain, but those are the truths of Scripture. <laughs> in this same kind of musical analogy, and why, and why I think this is even worth bringing up, is, is how does Jesus relate to us? And how can, how can we drive this thing to the here and now of the gospel for the application in our lives of today? 
Did you know that if you had two finely tuned pianos in the same room, and a, a note was struck on one, then the other piano on that same note would gently respond without a, note, without, without a hand being laid on that other piano. I find that to be kind of an amazing thing. But there's, but there's something in it with the vibrations and all that stuff that the, the, the two pianos that are tuned identically, one resonates with the other. This is a bit like what it's like for Jesus to assume our body in order for identification with us because he feels your pain. When a note in our body, in all of its weakness of that, of that human state that we're in, when a note is struck in us, it resonates with Jesus. He recognizes your sadness, your despair, your pain, your joys, your sorrows. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, do you find yourself at times needing someone who understands your situation? Who understands all the complexities that you're going through? All the pressures that you're under? Any note you play, whether it be a minor chord, a dirge, or a melody, Jesus resonates with what you're going through. I find this to be very comforting. I find the analogies helpful to draw a picture for me to help me understand that whatever it is I'm going through, Jesus relates to that. I am not alone. He is with me. Jesus comes to only those who are poor in spirit, and he fully identifies with you in all areas of your life so that he may redeem you fully. Now, this leads us to the here and now of the gospel. And as I've said, most of us are aware of our need for a Savior. So we welcome Christmas time. We welcome the Christmas story. We, we are anxious to welcome our Savior because of we know and recognize our need. At the same time, I believe most of us are convinced that as we do believe and trust in him, as he has turned our hearts, that we will spend eternity with him. But what do we do in this meantime, in the, in the, in the in-between times? What do we do about the here and now of the gospel? Do we recognize there's a here and now application of the Christmas story in our lives? Or do we feel like we just kind of need to bide our time until we get to glory? Then we can rejoice. But in, in the in the in between time, we're going to maybe just kind of like white, white knuckle it through here. We're going to hold on and try harder. Well, Jesus came to give us life. He was born to die so that we who were dead may be brought to life. How does Jesus give you life in the already of your conversion, but in the it's in between the already of your conversion and the not yet of your final homegoing. In the here and now, how does Jesus give you life? The grand story of the incarnation, the Christmas story, reminds us of past forgiveness and future hope, but because Jesus took on flesh and identified with us fully, Jesus gives us all we need in the here and now to live for him. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has granted us has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Jesus, right now, 
gives you all you need to live a life of godliness. This is what, this is what the pastor Peter was saying. You know, he was the apostle Peter, yes, but he was also a pastor. He's ministering to his people, and he's explaining to them in their time of persecution, in their time of need, he's saying Jesus gives to you all you need to live a life of godliness in that time. Jesus gives us, in our day, all we need to live a life of godliness. He's given you all you need to honor Christ with your marriage in the here and now. He's given you all you need to fight personal sin and combat temptation in the here and now. Understanding and believing of of this here and now application of the Christmas story, it will free you. Because if this is where your identity is, if this is where your foundation is, then you will be built on a secure foundation. Otherwise, you look to other things. You look to stuff. You look to people who give you your identity. In this thing where you go through life looking for comfort and peace and rest, you end up in a state of unrest, of uneasiness. Because there's, it's, an ever-shifting, it's an ever-shifting goal of what somebody might say about you and whether or not you have what you need to give you the assurance that you're really in Christ. If this is not your foundation, your life is that, that your life is built on, you'll simply be in constant search for wisdom and strength. The here and now of the Christmas story frees us from the power of fear. The gospel frees us from the fear of man. We can face what is inside of us and admit it openly because we know we are loved even so. The Christmas story frees us from regret. We can be reminded of our poor choices, of our past sins, and then we can carry around a very heavy, weighted burden. But the Lord says that there is no need for this guilt. This is why I have come. I have come to give you life. He knows. He knows of your past failures. He knows of your past sins. Yet, he loves you anyway. He says, come out of the darkness. Come out of the shame and make a fresh start, which the gospel, this Christmas story, the here and now of the Christmas story, gives us opportunity to do. It gives us opportunity to make a fresh start over and over again. The here and now of the Christmas story frees us from denial. We may strive for peace, but ignore the dark things inside of us. We live in denial about our own brokenness, and then we hope others don't notice, or that they won't find out of the darkness inside of us. So we like to put on the, the right face as we go and see people, because we want to hide. But because your hurt resonates with Jesus, we can know that we have help to carry us through whatever it is you're going through. We can be honest and admit our faults and our failures because we have been accepted in him. It was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are also freed from our desire for control. Many of us are anxious over things that we don't have the ability to control at all. But we can't let go, so that doesn't stop us from being anxious. So it gets to be in kind of a spiral effect. We can't let go, we can't control it, and then we continue to be bothered by the things that are going on, which we can't control, so we continue to be bothered. It becomes a vicious cycle. But the here and now application of the gospel, the here and now application of the Christmas story, frees us from that need for control. Because we will recognize in the here and now application of the gospel that that baby born to Mary and Joseph that many years ago, that one wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in the manger, 
is he who is in control of all things now. So even when our lives are spiraling out of control, we know that he remains in control of all things. And therefore, our hope rests in him. And we can let go of some of these things that we want to hold tightly to, recognizing there are things that we cannot change. And so we give those to him, and we trust that he's going to work those things for the ultimate good for him and his glory. So Jesus comes to give you eternal life, yes. But he also comes to bring you life in the here and now. So you who are poor in spirit, find your freedom and your rest in him in the here and now application of this Christmas story. Throughout this Christmas season, throughout this these Christmas days, may you recognize your need for the Savior, being poor in spirit, and then relying on him to provide those things that you need, and then be looking to him for those things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.